If your joy is weakened, if you're struggling to live in the joy of the Lord, then how do we remedy that? We do that by focusing our thoughts on our hope, our reward. So this morning we'll turn our attention from the biblical hope itself to what the Bible teaches us are the fruits of that hope. We can think about biblical hope and the Christian hope as we've been talking about and we can imagine, well, that sure would certainly have some impact in our lives, but the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder exactly what that should look like working its way out in our life. The Bible tells us explicitly. So let's turn to that now. Before we do that, let's remind ourselves of this definition, this working definition that we've been using sort of as a guide for the last few weeks. This definition of biblical hope, of Christian hope, that goes like this. The confident expectation that is buttressed and balanced on either side by both patient waiting for and fervent yearning for, culminating together in this confident expectation of the full realization and enjoyment of all the promised blessings of a completed salvation, which creates and sustains within us the specific spiritual fruits of lasting, true, genuine Christian joy, spiritual stability during trials and sufferings, Genuine motivation for holiness of life, certainty, confidence, assurance at the time of death, substantive brotherly encouragement, and true Christian unity. So those are the fruits that we're going to spend a little bit of time working through this morning. And let's just begin with the first fruit that's listed there, and that's the fruit of true, lasting, genuine Christian joy. Of all the fruits of the Spirit, I believe that the fruit of joy is probably that one fruit that is most desired and that is also most frustrating because we all experience times in which that joy is tangible and palpable in our lives, but then we also experience times in which it's like we look around and it seems to have left the room and we wonder why. And when we have it, It's like this spiritual on top of the world, but when we don't have it, that's the most discouraging times of all. And so if there was one of the fruit of the spirits that we could say, that one, it's that one that I really want to just take the volume and turn it up on, it would be the the fruit of joy. So how is it that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us the joy of the Lord? We've talked before about how this is not a type of circumstantial happiness that we can manufacture or we can stumble our way into or we can find by reading some sort of book about it. It is instead a work of the Spirit. God must do that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. He must do it and give it to us. So how is it that the Spirit is said by the Scriptures to give us this fruit of true, lasting, genuine Christian joy? He doesn't just pour it into our hearts while we sleep. We don't go to bed one night devoid of joy, and then wake up the next morning and our joy is replenished. 
How is it that the Spirit works His work of joy into us? And the Scriptures tell us that the Spirit does His work of joy in connection with His work of truth by teaching to us the truth that is the truth of the Scriptures, by teaching that to us, by illumining our minds and opening the eyes of our hearts to that truth, as we've said many times now, the truth of our blessings in Christ, the truth of who we are in Christ, the truth of our reward, the truth of our hope, by showing these things to us and revealing these things to us, that is how the Spirit works His work of Christian joy in our hearts. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. As we begin to look through these fruits, there's going to be a pattern for us to always be attentive to. And the pattern, I'll go ahead and tell you what the pattern is, and the pattern is this. For the Scriptures to say to us that there is this connection between the fruit and this cognitive recognition, this active thinking, this understanding, this perception of the truth... There's this connection between that and the fruit that we're speaking of. And so in various ways, the scripture is going to show us here's a fruit and here's how God brings you that fruit. It is by somehow through some means of illumining your mind of the truth that's behind that. And by doing that work, that's how the spirit brings to us joy. So look with me at Paul's words in Romans chapter five, beginning from verse one. Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Notice there, there's this certainty of a situation. There's this truth that frames the reality of Paul's present. And that reality is that he has been justified with God. He has been made right. He has been moved from the position of being underneath God's wrath an object of God's wrath, to now the position of being in God, in God's family. He has peace with God. And he says of the Romans as well, you have peace with God. And so they've been moved from being this condition of being God's enemy to now being God's family, to being God's heir. So there's this recognition, there's this truth, there's this confidence in his status. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice again, Paul is expressing this confidence in his present condition. And here we go. And we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Now that word rejoice, we can think of that really as the verb form of joy. We know the word joy to only be a noun. But that wasn't always the case. In times past, in previous generations, a couple hundred years ago, the word joy was not just a noun, it was also a verb. We don't use it as a verb anymore. We don't say joy in your present that I'm giving you or joy in the holiday. We instead have changed that a little bit to be the word rejoice. So think of the word rejoice as the verb form of joy. So Paul says, take joy or have joy or we could correctly just say joy. Joy, how? In hope. In hope of what? In hope of the glory of God. Rejoice or take joy in hope of the glory of God. Now that phrase, glory of God, should immediately bring to mind to us Paul's repeated phrase in the letter to the Ephesians that we just read. 
Three times in that passage, Paul is describing to us these glorious, bountiful blessings that are ours in Christ. We are His chosen people. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are adopted. And all of those blessings of that entire section, three times Paul ties them back to the glory of God. For the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory. Again and again, Paul brings that back, recognizing that that is the ultimate goal that God has for for our adoption. It's the ultimate goal that God has for our predestination, for our redemption, for our forgiveness, for the guarantee of our inheritance. The ultimate goal is for His glory. So Paul ties together, in the passage right before us, Paul ties together the glory of God and the ultimate blessings and enjoyment of our completed salvation. So that glory of God, that glory of God is, in Paul's mind, one and the same with our completed salvation. So this completed salvation, this hope, this confident assurance of that completed salvation that also brings the total glory of God, Paul says we joy in that. That's the context of joy. That's the context of his rejoicing. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice or we joy in our sufferings. How can you you take joy in your sufferings, Paul? How can you rejoice in your sufferings? We can rejoice in our sufferings, says Paul, by... The next word, knowing. Remember, hope is all about what we know. Hope is a cognitive thing. Hope is a thing that's, that's taught to us by the Spirit. It is something that we know and perceive and understand. So we can rejoice in our sufferings. How? By perceiving, by knowing, by knowing what? That suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. So there's now this sort of chain of things that happen. There's suffering And from the suffering comes endurance, and from the endurance comes character. So this suffering produces this endurance. Endurance is the ability to continue enduring suffering. And from that, Paul says, springs forth character. Now, what do we start to think about this character? Paul doesn't mean here that by suffering you develop your character, or like you might say, well, that guy's quite a character. What he means is something closer to, we could say, strength of character. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is the ability to endure suffering. And from that comes strength of character. Strength of character is produced by the trial. Strength of character knows something. Strength of character knows that the promises of God are real and true and won't leave us in the middle of suffering. So then Paul says, character produces hope. Wow. Isn't that like this wonderful circle? Hope enables you to endure suffering. Suffering produces in you strength of character that teaches you that God's promises are true and reliable, which strengthens your hope, which enables you to endure suffering, which produces endurance, which produces strength of character, and on and on we go. You see the the wonderful cycle here. Paul's saying, rejoice in this hope. Or as James will say, James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter sufferings of various types Why? Because that produces steadfastness. Same thing Paul's saying here. So Paul says, rejoice in this. Rejoice how? Because you know, we know. He first said, I know this. We're justified with God. I know this. We're at peace with God. I know this. 
We are recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I also know something else, that even now He continues to work these promises, these blessings, these privileges. He continues to work them toward my eternal reward. He says, character produces hope, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. That's a direct quotation of Psalm 22, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. How is it that hope does not put us to shame or hope does not disappoint us or hope does not let us down? This confident expectation of the blessings of completed salvation does not put us to shame. How? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, hope does not put us to shame because hope doesn't rely on your ability to believe. Hope doesn't rely on your ability to perceive the teachings of Scripture about your inheritance. Hope doesn't rely on your focus or your concentration or your ability to understand the hope that is laid up for us. Why? Because hope is not of you. Hope is of God. God gives hope to you. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit in our hearts to give us that confident expectation of His eternal glory and ours as well. And because it's God's work in your heart, it cannot put you to shame. It cannot disappoint. It can't let you down. It's God's work. And so Paul says that cannot possibly put us to shame. We can't possibly be put to shame by our hope in our eternal reward. Why? Because that hope itself, the confident expectation itself is God's work. Now, here's what's our work. The hope itself is God's supernatural work in us, but here's what we have to do. We have to pay attention to it. We have to give mind to it. We have to give focus to it. We have to give it prominent place in our thoughts. We have to give it prominent place in our lives because this supernatural confident assurance that God has given us of our eternal reward isn't just going to produce joy in us automatically. Instead, it's going to do that as we endeavor to make that hope prominent in our thoughts and in our lives. John Piper said that he's just astonished at how many people believe in God and yet live their lives as though true happiness comes from giving Him 2% of our attention. He's recognizing something that just doesn't seem to add up here. You believe in God. You believe that you're His. And yet, you also believe that happiness comes from giving Him 2% of your attention? How can those things coincide with one another? And the same thing is true for us. This supernatural biblical hope is God's work in our hearts, and yet our role is to take that work and give it prominence in our thoughts, give it prominence in our life, and then from that we realize this fullness of joy, this Christian joy. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12 too. Rejoice in hope. Hope is the context. It's the framework through which we joy. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Now that word blessed, a legitimate translation of that word is happy. The biblical word blessed means more than just happy, but it certainly doesn't mean less than happy. So we can say happy, joyful are you 
When others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. How can we rejoice and be glad, Jesus, when we are being persecuted and when we are suffering, when evil is being spoken falsely about us, when we're being slandered? How can we rejoice and be glad, Jesus, for your reward is great in heaven? I'm not sure Jesus could have been plainer there. Here's how you rejoice in that. By remembering, by focusing, by maintaining your thoughts on the greatness of the reward in heaven that is yours. Remember the Elijah story? Remember how Elijah's joy was diminished and and almost left him as his focus goes from Yahweh to Now, well, Jezebel and there's these threats against my life and everybody hates me and I'm going to be killed and all these different things. And all of a sudden, he was then a different man because his focus, the, the field of view of his soul had gone from Yahweh to what was right in front of him. And Jesus says, you can rejoice and you can be glad when the field of view of your soul, when the focus of your soul is, as he says, Your reward is great in heaven. Look at Paul's words in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. May the God of hope fill you with joy by way of your believing, by way of the work of the Spirit to illumine your heart to the truth, but also by your placing of that truth in prominent places in your thoughts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Not by the power of your believing. You don't abound in hope because you believed so well. You don't abound in hope because you have the ability to trust the Scriptures so well. You abound in hope because the power of the Holy Spirit in you has placed that supernatural confidence and expectation in your heart. John 15 verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus says, I've spoken some things and now we can say those things have been written down and we have the scriptures and Jesus says, here's the point. The purpose of those scriptures is so that my joy may be in you. You may read those things and the Holy Spirit will illumine those things in your heart and by believing those things, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jeremiah 15 verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Now that's that's a little bit odd. But Jeremiah is just saying there, he spiritually consumed them. He internalized them. The words of the Lord he put within his soul. So your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. So he internalizes this truth, the words of God. He internalizes it. He eats it, he says. And they become to him a source of joy. How are they a source of joy for Jeremiah? For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Because they teach him. They tell him of who he is in God. They tell him who he is. And they tell him of the reward that is awaiting him. And so therefore, they become to him as joy and delight. Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord or joy in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. So so remember when we went through Philippians, we said there's no new information there. 
Everything in the letter to the Philippians, Paul had already told them. He'd already taught them. And so here he says, listen, you already know this. I've told you this, but it's not a, it's not a problem. I'll write it to you again. Why? Because in the writing to you again, I'm reminding you of what you know, of the hope that you know to be true, which then allows you to rejoice in the Lord. And we can go on and on and on. Proverbs 10 verse 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. We could, we could be here quite some time Searching in the scriptures this theme that we see over and over, which is the theme of joy and how it is connected to the Holy Spirit's ministry of truth in our hearts. How He reveals truth to us, illumines our heart to truth, grants that we believe that truth, and from that in our life springs up joy. The Christian fruit, the fruit of the Spirit of true and lasting joy is a fruit that we should expect to come from our hope. If your joy is weakened, if your joy is anemic, if you're struggling to live in the joy of the Lord, then how do we remedy that as humans, as people? We do that by focusing our thoughts on our hope, our reward, our confident assurance in the hope that is laid up for us, the inheritance that is ours. Remember last, from last time, those four aspects, those four preeminent aspects of our hope, the total perfect moral conformity with our maker, the intimate uninterrupted fellowship with God, the soul satisfying service to the Lord, the supernatural implanting of joy. Those are the things that when you focus your soul on those, the great hope that is ours, that strengthens the joy in our heart. 